Have you ever wanted to see something change in your life, but you didn't know how to bring it about? And I'm sure if we look back at our lives, or even right now, there are things that we would like to see changed, but we're not sure how that change is going to happen. Now, this is true in the lives of believers and unbelievers alike. Everybody wants to see some type of change in our lives. No matter what we have, we seem to want more of or we want something different. And this desire for change isn't necessarily a bad thing. We were created in the image of God. And I believe that is part of it, that desire for change. Let's look at Ecclesiastes um, 3 verse 11, and it says, uh, let's see, I'll read it from here. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, so it speaks of God, says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So let's focus on that phrase. God has said eternity in the human heart. So what is this eternity that God has put into, I believe, the heart of every person, whether they're a believer or not? Well, I believe eternity is the desire to live forever. You know, how many people, really healthy people, want to die? You, you want to keep on living. You want to, there's a desire in our heart to live forever. Eternity is a desire to have a relationship with our maker, with our creator, a relationship with God. Eternity is a desire to live in a perfect world. Who wants to live in a perfect world? I do. Our world is far from perfect right now. And it's all of these things and much more, but we could sum it up to say that this eternity that God has placed in every heart has to do with the desire to know God, whether people recognize it or not. Somebody has once said that God has placed a vacuum in the heart of every human being, a vacuum that can only be filled with God. And so everybody desires to fulfill that or fill that vacuum in their lives, but nothing is going to satisfy that except God himself. Only God can bring us into eternity with him one day where our hearts will be completely satisfied but that journey begins in this life and so today we're going to look at how this void in our heart this desire for eternity can be filled i've entitled today's message change begins with with repentance and so change doesn't happen automatically in our lives we, we would like it to happen automatically things just get better each and every day but it doesn't happen that way it it even doesn't happen just because we pray that it's supposed to happen or we ask for a certain change in our lives. It, it doesn't always happen right after we pray, at least for me and probably for you as well. Today we're going to talk about that change begins with repentance, I believe both for believers and unbelievers. So what is repentance? What does it mean to repent? To repent is to, first of all, acknowledge that there is sin in our lives. To turn away from that sin and to turn towards God. It's making a 180 degree turn. We're headed towards sin. We turn away from that sin and we turn towards God. That's what repentance is all about. It's a change of heart. 
And that's how a person is born again. That's how a person receives eternal life. It begins with repentance. It's what Jesus talked about. In Mark 1.14, Jesus uh, came to Galilee. He proclaimed the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so Jesus was saying, God's got a wonderful kingdom. That kingdom is right here. You can enter this wonderful kingdom right now. But there's something that you have to do. You have to repent of your sin. You have to acknowledge your sin. Turn away from it and believe in me. Believe in the gospel, the good news. Now, that was not just the message of Jesus. It was the message of the early church. Acts 2.38, Peter said on the day of Pentecost to the people who were listening, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is the first step? What is the first thing that Peter called on the people to do? Exactly what Jesus said, repent. Repent of your sin. And that initial repentance, that initial belief brings you into the kingdom of God. Jesus said you, you are born again. You are born into the family of God. But repentance is not just for unbelievers. It's not we repent once, we become a child of God, and, and then we're done with repentance. Repentance is for who? For people who sin. And we all sin. The Bible says if we claim we do not sin, we're not speaking the truth. We all sin, even as believers. 1 John 1.9 says if. Whenever the word is if there, this is a conditional statement if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness this verse was written not to unbelievers it was written to believers we are to daily confess our sin which is just another way of speaking of repentance confessing our sins to God and of course Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer Forgive us our trespasses as we, we are to pray daily. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And when we do what God tells us to do, when we repent, when we confess our sins, he forgives us. And he does something more than that. He cleanses our hearts. He washes us clean from unrighteousness. And that's change. That's change that is happening in our lives or should be happening on a daily basis. So let's talk a little more about how does this repentance happen in the life of a believer. In order to repent, the first thing we need to be aware of is that we have sinned. If we think we haven't sinned, we have nothing to repent for. And so the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. Now, how does that happen? Well, we have to give the Holy Spirit an opening into our lives. We have to receive his conviction. And as we read God's word on a regular basis, God's word was written by the Holy Spirit. It's the words of the Holy Spirit written down, inspired by God. God will bring conviction to our hearts. Has that happened to anybody? It happens to me. I read God's word and say, oh, I'm not measuring up here. I am convicted. Conviction is not just of 
the things that we do wrong. It's also conviction of the things we're supposed to do right that we're not doing. It's easy to forget those. But when we realize our sin, we repent. God works in our hearts. He cleanses us of all unrighteousness. And in a sense, we become a little more like Jesus. Spiritual growth involves walking with God, doing more right things, and doing, more, doing less wrong things. Repentance in our lives leads to this spiritual growth. And so change begins with repentance. So today we're going to continue in our study in this series of the prophet Jeremiah to understand a little bit better why and how even believers can stray into sin and how we can get back on track, how God wants to bring change into our lives. So why do God's people stray? We're going to jump from Jeremiah 1 last Sunday to Jeremiah 2 today. Jeremiah, this is his prophecy, says, Thus says the Lord, What wrong did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless? Now, Jeremiah was prophesying to the people in Jerusalem. He prophesied to the nation of Judah. And he begins with this question. God, or the Lord, is asking his people, why did you forsake me? Why did you leave me? Why did you leave me to chase after this worthlessness, which is worthly idols? Did I do something wrong to you? Now, of course, that's a rhetorical question. God had done nothing wrong. But his people had forsaken him and they had chased after worthless idols. And when you chase after worthless idols or you worship them, what happens to you? You become like whatever you worship. And so if you worship worthless idols, you become like them. You become Worthless is what it says right here. Of course, the opposite is true. If you worship God, you become more like him. And that's a far better thing to do. Jeremiah goes on in verse 11 and he says, Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. So Israel had begun with Abraham being called by God, believing God, journeying to the promised land. God had revealed himself to Abraham, and ultimately the nation of Israel was born. Now the Lord was saying these pagan nations around Israel, they don't change their gods. Each one has certain god or some different idols that they worshipped. And once they have those idols, they don't worship the idols of another nation. Uh, they continue to worship those idols. They call them gods. Of course, God's word says they're not gods. Uh, there is only one true God. And pagan nations don't change their gods. So why would you, Israel, why would you, a people of Jerusalem, change your glory, worshiping the creator for something else? It makes no sense. It doesn't profit you. In fact, it harms you. So why would people, why would these people stray from God? Why would any people who know God stray from Him? 
Verse 13, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that hold no water. And so there's two evils here. The first evil is that they have forsaken God. And he calls himself here the fountain of living water. An ongoing fountain that is never quenched of springing up of living water. Living water is fresh water. It's cool water. It's moving water. It's flowing water. It's the best water that you could ever have. And that's who God is. In fact, Jesus said that's the Holy Spirit. This living water that the prophet is speaking about. This is not just moving water. It's alive. It's living. It's alive with eternal life. And when God's people stray and turn away from this living water, what do they try to do for themselves? They, they have to have some kind of water, and so they begin to dig in the earth. A cistern is a, some uh, basically hole dug in the earth that when it rains, the waters flow into this and people can drink from. But the cisterns that they were spending all this time digging were broken. And even if the rain came in, it would leak out. And any water that was left would be stagnant, would be dirty, would be the exact opposite of this living water that God had for them. And what do these cisterns represent? They represent the idols that the people of Israel had chosen to worship. The idols of the people around them. Now, why would Israel... Turn aside from God who offered them all these blessings. Why would they do that when he had done so many miracles in the past? You look at their history. We don't have time to go through all the miracles that God had worked in their history. And yet, they had forgotten. And the answer, I believe, or why Israel was turning away from God was twofold. First of all, they were deceived. And secondly, they were succumbing to peer pressure. And the two are very related. Israel had turned away from the one true God because they believed the lie that the idols of the nations around them were better than God himself. It's a, a terrible lie. It's a falsehood. It was not true in any sense, but somehow they believed it. And why did they believe it? Well, I think it was basically peer pressure. All these nations around them had their own idols. Some of them were world powers. And they wanted the same. Israel wanted to be like the pagan nations around them. And so they choose to worship their, chose to worship their idols. They chose to believe a lie and give in to peer pressure. Now I believe the same is true today. Many people, both believers or both unbelievers and, and some who claim to be believers. The deception of Satan is, is that the ways of sin are the best ways. The ways of the world around us give us the most pleasure. The way of the world around us is going to give us success in life. And the lies of Satan are magnified in all the kinds of media that we have available to us today. 
we see it. We see pictures of people who are very rich, very famous, very successful in the world's eyes, and they've gotten there not through God's blessing, but through other roots. Worshiping idols of pleasure, idols of money, idols of power and position. Now, as we saw from the writings of Jeremiah, the way that people begin to worship the idols of the world is to stop worshiping God. For you cannot worship God and idols at the same time. It's impossible. You cannot truly worship God when you're bowing down to an idol. And what is an idol? It's not necessarily a little statue or something that you bow down to. An idol is anything in your life that you put ahead of God and His Word. And so this morning, God wants each of us to evaluate our lives. Is there anything in your life that is an idol? Anything in your life that has replaced obeying God? And if you're saying, Pastor, there are no idols in my life. Every sin that any of us ever sins is bowing down to an idol. Is believing a lie. Are you listening to someone? Either in person or virtually. Reading, watching. That is leading you to reject the truth of God's word. That's leading you to question the things of God. That's leading you into things that you know are wrong. If so, God wants to bring change into your life. So let's look at the next phase of Jeremiah's message. To this idolatry people of Judah in Jerusalem. He's going to talk about the consequences of rebellion, rebellion against God. Let's jump over to Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 6. He says, Raise a standard toward Zion. Flee for safety. Stay not. For I bring disaster from the north and great destruction. A lion has gone from his thicket. A destroyer of nations has set out. He's gone out from his place to make your land a waste. And your cities will be ruins without inhabitants. And so Jeremiah now begins to warn the people of Judah that straying from God, their rebellion would ultimately lead to judgment. God was raising up the Babylonian Empire, a world power at that time, a fierce and deadly nation that had devastated and conquered many other nations. And he was going to bring great destruction through the Babylonians. The Lord refers to this enemy as a lion and a destroyer. They would lay waste to the land. They would devastate and ruin all of the cities. And was there any hope? Was there any hope for, these, for this coming destruction, for this coming judgment? Well, in verse 14, Jeremiah the prophet speaks the words of God imploring the people in verse 14, O Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? And so he begins to tell the people that there, there is a way out. If they've rebelled or since they've rebelled, they need to wash their hearts of evil. How that happens is through repentance, being forgiven and being saved that you may be saved. The wicked thoughts in their hearts 
idolatrous thoughts, thoughts about other things, idols, sins, had taken up lodging within them, and those things needed to be purged from their hearts, from their minds through repentance. He says in verse 18, your ways and your deeds have brought this upon you. This is your doom, and it is bitter. It has reached your very heart. The impending invasion of Babylon was drawing near because of their sinful ways and their sinful deeds, turning from God towards idols. This was going to happen. And as I've said before, all sin at its core is the worship of idols, believing a lie. And so what was coming? And what did come? Because the people did not listen to Jeremiah's message. It was bitter destruction in every dimension. It would affect not only their physical well-being, but reach to their very hearts. Rebellion has severe consequences. Now you might say, well, Pastor Dan, that was the Old Testament. You know, surely God has changed. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so does God still bring judgment today on those who are in rebellion against Him? And as we read the Bible, and Richard has answered for us, the answer from God's Word is unconditionally yes. There are many examples and warnings throughout the New Testament on the consequences of rebellion against God, both for unbelievers and for believers. The purpose of God's judgment is to warn people so that they repent before the judgment comes or even if they receive the judgment that the judgment leads them to repentance. And so what kind of judgment does God allow into the lives of, of his people today? Well, I mean, you know, that's a very large question. It could be any type of negative or painful experience to wake us up. Now, is every negative or painful experience God's judgment? No, not at all. We have a lot of painful negative experiences that are just a result of living in a fallen world, a broken world, living in a world of, of, uh, that's under the curse. So how do we know the difference? We simply need to pray. We need to ask God. If there's anything in our lives, we need to confess. And of course, that's something we should be doing on a daily basis. The book of James, for example, tells us to confess, if we're sick, to confess our sins and to pray for healing. Now, does that mean that every sickness is caused by sin? No, not at all. Jesus made that very clear. But yet, we confess to make sure that sin is not the cause of our sickness. Sin is not the cause of some negative experience that we're going through. We confess it and we pray for God to work and to bring healing, for God to bring resolution to whatever we're going through as we continue to follow him. We need to understand there are consequences of rebellion. There are consequences of sin in our lives. And so God calls his people to return. Jeremiah 3 verse 14, it says, return, O faithless children, declares the Lord, for I am your master. I will take you, one from a city, two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. And I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So in these verses, we see what God has for his people, what God longs for his people, the blessings that he has for those who repent of their sins. 
Those who return to the Lord would be taken to Zion. Zion refers to Jerusalem. It refers to the city of God. It refers to the presence of God. Uh, it's the place God wants us to be. And those who return would be blessed with shepherds who are after God's own heart. Shepherds that would not lead them astray as the shepherds in Jeremiah's day had led the people astray. They would lead them in the ways of the Lord. Verse 1 of chapter 4, If you return, O Israel, declares the Lord, to me you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. Again, God is calling Israel to return to him. He said, this is what you should do. To return to the Lord means removing these detestable things, and that refers to these idols, these things of sin that was, that was in their lives, that were in their lives. They must not waver. Sometimes people waver, like, do I want this sin or don't I want this sin? I give it up, I go back to it. Don't waver. Turn away from it. And do not return. Not only must they repent of their evil, they needed to proclaim with their mouths that God was truly alive. And this God requires truth in our lives. He requires righteousness. He requires justice. And if Israel returns, then they would influence the nations. That's the opposite of what was happening. The nations were influencing them. But if they returned to God, then they would influence the nations around them towards God. Jumping over to Lamentations, verse th chapter 3, verse 32. But though he, speaking of God, caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. And so these final verses we're looking at today are from the book of Lamentations, the second book written by Jeremiah, a much shorter book. And here we see that God takes no pleasure unleashing his judgment on, on people. He would take no pleasure on unleashing this Babylonian invasion that brought about great destruction on the people of Jerusalem. He loves them as a father loves his children. He has compassion on them. He's, he desires to see them return. He desires to see them enjoy the abundance of his love. But they must repent. You know, some people are, are afraid to return to the Lord. They've done things wrong. I got a message a couple days ago from someone, I think it was Facebook Messenger, and they said that they believed in God, but they'd done so many wrong things, they felt God could never accept them. They were too far gone. And they were trying to be good, but they felt hopeless. Some people are afraid to return to the Lord. They're fearful of his judgment. They don't understand his forgiveness. They don't understand his compassion. 
They don't understand his, his heart. God is seeking for people to return to him. If you return to him, he's not going to push you away. He's going to welcome you with, with open arms. He longs to have a, a loving relationship with every person. He gives the opportunity to everyone on the face of this planet to repent. To be his child. His heart is that none should perish. He doesn't want anyone to experience his judgment. But the only way for forgiveness and change to happen is through repentance. And as we repent, as we continue to live a lifestyle of repentance, we grow spiritually. We become more and more like Jesus each and every day. The Bible speaks of spiritual growth as putting to death the deeds of the flesh. That's sin in our lives. How do we do that? Through repentance. Turning away from sin and running towards God. God longs for our relationship with him to be that of a heavenly father with his loving children. And he sent Jesus. He cared about that so much. He sent Jesus to die on the cross that we might be forgiven, that it might be possible, that the impossible might be made possible. And he's going to do whatever it takes for each of us to grow in our relationship with him. So God calls us to return to him. So I believe that the call to return to God applies to each and every one of us. No matter how mature you might think you are, you could be closer to Jesus. There are ways that each of us strays from God in our lives. And of course, we always compare, don't we? Not as bad as this person never done that, or I don't do that anymore. We are not to compare ourselves to other people. We're to compare ourselves to Jesus. And there are areas there that we don't measure up. When one thing or another gets in the way of our relationship with God, it causes us to stray. We often try to fit in with the people around us who are not seeking after God. Perhaps we're not doing any overt sin and we think we're doing pretty good, but we're also not doing the things that God is calling us to do. And so this morning, God wants to show each of us through the prophet Jeremiah that there are consequences of sin. And all sin is rebellion in some shape or form. And God calls each of us this morning to return to him, to draw closer to him, closer than ever before to, to be refreshed in his presence. So we're going to pray in a, a minute or two. And as we do, ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. David writes in the Psalms, search my heart and see if there's any wicked thing in me. And the Spirit will find something. The Spirit will find something if you have ears to hear. And when he does, simply repent. Say, you're right. Don't minimize it. Don't say it's not so bad. Really, there's other people doing much worse. Don't say that. Just say, yeah, that's right. I admit it. I repent. I turn away from it. And ask him for his forgiveness. Ask him for his strength. Ask him for his healing. And as we grow in better understanding what repentance is and practicing it on a, a daily basis, then 
We're going to become more and more like Jesus. Our spiritual growth is going to be accelerated. And we're going to become more and more like the children of God that he created us to be. So this morning, if you're not sure that you're a child of God, or perhaps you made a decision in the past and you feel like you've drifted away, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with me in a minute. The first step here, the slide says admit. That's the same as repent. Uh, perhaps repent is a little more full word. It means to, first of all, admit that you've sinned and turn away from that sin. Ask for Jesus to forgive you. Believe that Jesus died on the cross, that your sins might be forgiven. Invite him into your life. And commit yourself to following him, to walking with him each and every day. So let's bow our heads right now. We're going to pray. And I'd encourage, uh, if you've never prayed a prayer like this before, you'd like to recommit your life this morning to pray along with me and say something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've, I've done wrong things. And God, maybe they don't seem so big to me, but I still admit they're wrong. And they've separated me from your presence. And they nailed Jesus to the cross. I turn away from those things. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. My sin nailed him to that tree. And his blood, I believe, brings forgiveness for my sins. I commit my life to following him as my Lord and Savior all my days. For those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, this morning we, we thank you for the words of this ancient prophet, Jeremiah who spoke to a rebellious and idolatrous people. And God, we pray for ourselves that you would reveal to us in any areas in our lives that we've strayed from your presence, that we've strayed into the ways of the world, that we begin to rationalize small sins, small compromises. Today we decide to Repent to turn away from anything that's unpleasing to you. We ask for your forgiveness. We realize that the sins in our lives are caused by idols. Things that are more important to us than following after you. And today we renounce those idols. We understand that there are consequences if we keep on holding on to those idols. And we respond to your call to return to you in a new way, in a fresh way. To, to live for you, not 50%, not 70%, not 95%, but 100% for you. We thank you, God, for speaking to us, for working in our lives today. That we might each day become more and more like Jesus. As we turn away from sin and as we receive your strength. As we receive your healing. As we receive your blessing.
We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.